Trying for the O'Brien. My name is Brent Bassbinder, host here alongside Quentin Cools, of course. And it's been a minute and we are breaking down more NBA action as 2023 has come to a close. And boy, Quinn was 2023 filled with just a lot of good NBA basketball. December, of course, um, was no exception with some fantastic um, games being played, some historic performances, some historic failure in the case of a certain state in a certain city in Michigan. Um, and would love to start here with our first notable trade, Quinn. Of course, the trade deadline is coming up in February, which now is next month. And so teams are finally going to start deciding whether they need to start heading closer towards the lottery or whether they need to start trying to head up towards contention. And it was the New York Knicks who decided to strike first to making a big move this trade season. And Quinn, of all the teams to do a deal with, it's the team they have an active lawsuit out against. I think that's like the small detail that everyone's missing in this. That's right. We, we've covered this earlier on the pod. There's an active lawsuit out from the Knicks to the Raptors um, concerning a coach stealing information. But surely it wasn't enough to stop them from doing a trade. And so coveted stellar wing OG Ananobi was traded to the Knicks from the Raptors in exchange for R.J. Barrett getting to go back to his hometown of Toronto, as well as coveted young guard Emmanuel Quickly. And so we got a big trade here, kind of representing what I just said earlier, second here, Quinn, with the Knicks pursuing contention this year and the Raptors pursuing the youth movement to head towards the lottery here. And so I think, you know, we got to start zooming out of this trade and start kind of asking that question, Quinn. Obviously, it's, it's really early right afterwards. Um, but who made the wise move here when it comes down to this trade? So I've heard that the Knicks have been made fun of for making this trade because how could OG be worth all that? Uh, I, I actually fall on the other side of this. I, I think that OG Ananobi is the, is the kind of glue guy player that, that every team is looking for in the league. I think you need kind of a, an elite three and D guy. You don't just want the, the sixth man, the seventh man, you want the, the three or fourth guy on the team and I feel like OG's that guy, and I feel like he's proven it over a number of seasons. So the the question, I think, really comes down to who is R.J. Barrett. I've never been an R.J. Barrett guy. Um, when he's only averaging, you know, 18 points a game with an inconsistent jump shot, and even when he's being fed the ball in the non-Julius Randle minutes and, and so forth, I just don't – I didn't like his fit on that team. Um, I felt like it, it became clear that it was Brunson's team shortly after Brunson arrived. And even with Barrett's physique, uh, he hasn't seemed to excel like I think a, another player in his position could or should. So, so I think it really comes down to if, if, uh, if Barrett can blossom in, uh, in, in Toronto, then, then sure, uh, then Toronto wins that trade. Um, I don't think that quickly is, is as valuable as people think that he is. I think that, you know, those, those kinds of scoring guards where you get like a, um, you know, a Clarkson in Utah or even a couple years ago, Cam, uh, uh, campaign on the Suns when they made their, their run to the finals. I think those kinds of players are kind of all around the league. And if you need a guy for a year or a couple years, you can find one. But I think OG is the kind of player that is hard to find, and that's why he was he was being projected to be worth you know three first round picks. Now, is this a bigger trade with giving up quickly, who's you know really good six man if if not a starter, uh, and RJ Barrett? Maybe, but I, I think it was worth rolling the dice. I like it. 
Yeah, I'm actually a big fan. Like you said, a lot of the chatter is, is you know, big anti dumping on the Knicks for giving up particularly quickly is what I see a lot of people talking about. Um, but I think if you're the Knicks and, you know, Julius Randle is getting ready to turn 30, obviously Brunson is not going to get any younger as well. Um, OG comes in at that 26 year old spot, which is kind of perfectly, you know, both, you know, he's a veteran and he's also in a young position and he's got, you know, the next five years in his prime. And so I think picking up OG was huge. Obviously, tons of teams, um, particularly last year, were fighting, trying to get the Raptors to bite on a trade, like you said, for even up to three first round picks. And so shout out to the Knicks for going all in. I think when it comes down to it, obviously, the Knicks are trying to do the impossible and for their franchise in the last 20 years, and that's have playoff success, Quinn. And I think, you know, if you're approaching it from that perspective, then I think picking up OG and pairing him with Brunson and Randall was the right move. And I think a game just got finished like a couple hours ago that I think perfectly illustrated this. They got the best version of Randall, which they need if they're going to win a series. Randall dropped 39 points on the league, one of the league's best teams next to the Celtics, and that's the Timberwolves. Um, Randall dropped 39 on the Wolves tonight um, and paired with 17 points from OG and Brunson had a, a quiet night, which he's been on a bad streak recently. Um, but he was just really able to slot in kind of providing an offensive boost, but also lockdown defense. And so beating like on the opening night of your right after your trade, you know, the second best team in the league, I think is a, a great note for them. Um, but like we've talked about in the pod before, it's just going to come down for them about like which Brunson and rich, rich Randall shows up. Um, to a playoff series because someone like OG has demonstrated the last four years a lot of consistency and so the Knicks are of course are going to hope that they can always turn Randall into that 2021 run Randall whenever it comes playoff time Um, but yeah shout out to the Knicks for making what I think was a really wise move obviously they're going to have to play the Sixers the Celtics or the Bucks at some point if they want to make a deep playoff run so is that enough to push them past those three teams of course you know we don't think so but when you're trying to contend, I think this was a right move. I think a last note, Quinn, which I think is fascinating, is people pointed out that OG's agent is Knicks president Leon Rose's son. So before he was the Knicks president, he was, of course, a sports agent. And he bequeathed in a very nepotistic way, of course, his sports agency to his son. And that's exactly <laughs> the agency that OG was signed with. So writing was on the wall the entire time. Um, that OG was going to go to the Knicks. And this is good, of course, because OG is a free, unrestricted free agent this summer, Quinn. And so, you know, if you're the Knicks and you're giving up, you know, two key pieces like this, you want good reassurance that he's not going to go and sign with a contender, a real contender in the offseason. And so if you're Knicks fans, you kind of have to be happy with that little connection there between OG and the Knicks um, because he can literally decide to go wherever he wants this summer. And I'll put the invitation out there. If Leon Rose's son, Sam Rose, wants to join us on the podcast, he's absolutely welcome to do that because what I'm about to say is just ridiculous, right? So he, <laughs> I looked up his LinkedIn and uh, after working for Creative Artists Agency for you know eight and a half years, prior to that, he was intern comma chief executive officer with the Philadelphia 76ers. And I'm not sure if that was intern and chief executive officer or was he an intern for the ceo it also happened to be during uh, the 76ers um uh plummet uh, shall we say uh, then i scrolled down to his skills and he has uh, nine endorsements for microsoft office 17 endorsements for powerpoint and and man i the nepotism is uh you, you called it well done 
All right, moving down to getting to the teams and where we're standing here. I want to touch first on a team um, that has finally been getting health where they've needed it, and it's been showing, and that is the New Orleans Pelicans, who are 7-3 and three in their last 10 games here. Of course, the Pelicans, every, every year, these last couple of years, everyone knows that they have the potential to be a contender. Historically, last year, around this time, they were second in the West, of course, before another Zion injury doomed them um, to a low performance in the spring. Um, but last night's game, which I got to see a good chunk of, was phenomenal. They blew out the Los Angeles Lakers by 20 points. AD was playing, and he was killing it, of course, like he always does against his former team. LeBron turned in another historic performance for a now 39-year-old. But it wasn't enough because Brandon Ingram was on, CJ was on, and Zion was on. And that three-headed snake, Quinn, is a dangerous snake. And I think if you're any team in the West, Suns included, Timberwolves included, um, you know, name a team, you know, the Kings – I think this Pelicans team is scary because although, you know, there's some embarrassing losses, I think, for them already this season, they've shown that when those three players are firing on all cylinders and they add their role players like Jose Alvarado, Trey Murphy III, the Pelicans are a dangerous team. And honestly, they're just a really fun basketball team to watch. And that's why they were my 2K team. You know, I I, I had a, you know, five foot ten point guard that came up in the league and, okay, I'm talking about myself, yes, and I was in 2K and you know, came up and finally took a starting spot from CJ. Uh, no, I think those those players work so well together. Um, I think that they complement each other because you have variability with what you can offer. So you've got slashing, you've got power, you've got outside shooting. Um, there's a ton of a variety to what they can uh, throw at a defense. And now there's going to be some nights um, – uh, like a couple weeks ago, I remember watching uh, a Pelicans game and there, you know, CJ was getting a lot of great open shots, but just wasn't hitting. It wasn't, wasn't his night. And it's like, okay, well, if one of those guys is off or if Zion is in foul trouble, well, then what happens? Like, do they have enough then? And, and maybe the chips just have to fall just right um, in order for this team to go far. But I think the bigger question at this point, you know, you started out the pod by talking about teams that are kind of evaluating kind of their identity and, and what, what changes they may need to make now or in the future. And a couple of those teams have already made those decisions. I think the Pelicans are still kind of in that position and particularly with Zion, um, just given, you know, the, the commitments they've made to him um, in terms of numbers of years on his contract, the money um, and the questions of his health and so forth. I think there's there is an ongoing question of would you at some point sell high with Zion or do you continue investing and continue to to play it patiently? Um, obviously, that's a franchise that that did that with AD um, and um, they they did that with Chris Paul um, and they tried to build contenders around those respective players. So I think I think that's going to be the challenge uh, in all of this. But um, at this point, it's it's great to see them uh, for a second year kind of coming at this time of year yeah I really like their starting five I think you know you look offensively um, at the biggest need there and that's lockdown defender Herb Jones um, to really work and he's you can tell he's been working on his shooting he hit several um, three open threes last night even in the Lakers game where I was just uh, you know really impressed by his shooting form um, and just that ability because you know if he can really up his offensive game there, you've got a really dangerous starting five in, you know, Jonas, who's kind of still like a double-double machine. We've talked about before in the pod, he is still a turnover machine. But, you know, honestly, so is Zion on any given night. Um, but Jonas, Zion, CJ, Herb, um, and, and Brandon Ingram there, you know, if you can get all those guys clicking offensively, 
and you know particularly on zion and some of these other guys working on their defense i mean that's a really starting five that i think a lot of people would ride with in a, in a playoff series here you know at contention level yet yeah probably not um but shout out to the pelicans for finally getting to see kind of four years ago the dream when they they drafted zion to see a team built around him who's working i think they're getting to see that now and i'm, I'm really happy for their fan base turning our attention to the team that they blew out last night of course and that's the los angeles lakers who um, have had such a bizarre start to the season, of course, lots of injuries with key pieces like recent signee um, Gabe Vincent, you know, being out, of course. Um, but, you know, there's just like there's so many games, Quinn, where I watch the Lakers and I'm like, oh, no, they're going all the way. Like, you know, they they look so dominant, like AD is impossible to stop in his mid range. LeBron on the fast break is still just like nightmarishly offensive. And then you have like nights like last night where they go fly to New Orleans on New Year's Eve and. And they just get destroyed. And yeah, it's a back-to-back, I understand. But if you're the Lakers, you know, and remember all the chatter, Quinn, before the season started, how like the Lakers won the offseason with these additions of like Torian Prince and like all this stuff. Like people were like losing their minds. But it's interesting to see just the inconsistency in the performance and all the heat's been thrown at Devin um, Darvin Ham, their coach recently. Um, but just watching the Timberwolves game and then watching the very next night, the, the Pelicans game, just trying to figure out like, you know, what do the Lakers need to actually be true contenders right now? Yeah, I mean, the thing is with the Lakers, I feel like the narrative <clears throat> has to be built around uh, the in-season tournament because, you know, with LeBron, like he's still playing at an elite level. Um, and they, yeah, there's some, there's some you know, plays, some nights um, where he's going to, you know, not have 100%. But it's not even that he doesn't have 100%. I think it's that he doesn't um, he doesn't necessarily feel the need to put all of his chips in the middle every night. And so I think that he's kind of playing the long game. And this isn't anything new. LeBron's been doing this for, you know, probably the, the, the second half of his career. He's really been elite at this. Um, but especially now in the regular season, like in, in early LeBron years, you would have these juggernaut teams that, you know, would win 60 games and would just plow through the regular season and then, and, and a lot of that on his back. And then, you know, they would still do well in the playoffs, but sometimes would flame out or be bested by just a kind of a, a team that had kind of that, that mentality or kind of the, the grit uh, that, that kind of that beat them. And, and I think that LeBron is way more interested in shaping kind of the character of the team over the long haul. And so like with the in-season tournament, they obviously made a significant investment in that. They won that. Um, and then since then, they've been kind of in a spiral. Like, I think they've only had two wins maybe since since that tournament, maybe three wins. Um, and that's been, you know, the better part of a month. And so I, I do think that they need to uh, dial it back in and and focus and get some wins here. And, and I think they've got a stretch ahead of them where there, there are some, there's some wins on the, on the calendar um, but even like when you look at that, like their next few games, they have Miami. That's a tough game. Now Memphis becomes a hard team with Jaw coming back. Um, the Clippers have been really good. Toronto looks different now. Phoenix um, kind of off and on, but, you know, but an excellent, uh, an excellent roster. So I think that they, they do need to not wait too long to dial back in. And the, and the unfortunate thing is for all of the role players on the team is that creates a target uh, on their backs uh, for any trade that might might take place because if they end up under 500 I think they're at 500 right now and that say they're three games four games five games under 
well, they can't miss the playoffs. And so if they have to shake up the roster in order to get in the playoffs, they'll do it. So I think that everyone should be motivated at this point, but particularly the role players. Yeah, and they've, you know, when interviewed, LeBron particularly and other guys have pointed to the lack of health in their team, which has prevented them from getting consistent time on the court with their actual lineup here. Even looking at um, their, you know, now famous loss to the Timberwolves um, two nights ago where um, maybe a foot was on the line, Quinn, or maybe the foot wasn't on the line for LeBron. Um, But even looking at what they rolled out, they ran out Torian Prince and LeBron James at the guard positions, which, of course, in their entire careers, neither of them have you know, been perfect. I mean, LeBron's played a significant portion of games at the guard position, but Torian Prince is a wing. So they, they slot him there at the guard, LeBron at the guard, and then they run Vanderbilt and Cam Reddish as the forwards. And then they run 80 at the five. I'm um, just looking at, you know, that setup there. Yeah. LeBron is a great handler, but even having to put like Torian Prince as I guess your shooting guard, um, obviously not your main ball handler, I think is a tough look for them. And they elected to bring Austin Reeves and and D'Angelo Russell, both guys who do traditionally play the guard position off the bench. Um, and then they ended up getting five out of D'Angelo Russell, nine out of Austin Reeves, four out of Cam Reddish, eight out of Vanderbilt. And they, they almost won the game, of course, as well known. But that required AD pumping out 33 points and LeBron James pumping out 26 points. And so, you know, once again with the Lakers, if you need both AD and LeBron to drop 30 both together, for you to be competitive in a game, I think that's a dangerous place to be. And so I wouldn't be surprised if Rob Polinka tries to work some more magic um, before the February trade deadline, because this team is obviously designed to get LeBron one more chip. And I think there's work that needs to be done before that. But back to that Timberwolves game, Quinn, what do you think? Was that a two or was that a three? I think it's ridiculous that it was called as a two on the court. I thought that uh, like just by the naked eye, it looked like LeBron was behind the three-point line. And then in in the replay, you see ever so slightly that the front of his shoe, maybe the shadow of the shoe, crosses to, to touch the line. But it doesn't even cross the line. Like, we're not talking Kevin Durant's massive size 18 shoe in the playoffs, you know, crossing over the three-point line. We're talking about someone's shoe approaching and starting from behind the three-point line I thought it was ridiculous and for the sake of the game man look at it like that would have tied the game that was like an epic performance by LeBron he was killing it that night like I wanted that I think NBA fans wanted that I thought he deserved that I thought he was robbed of that yeah I I think it's wild because you can go back and watch the clip and there was a ref who literally was right next to LeBron and was staring at his shoes while he went up you know knowing you know the significance of where he was. And yeah, I, I actually agree. Like, I just don't think there was conclusive evidence. Obviously I know in the heat of the moment, it's a lot more stressful than me sitting here in my house, you know, running a podcast. Um, but I think the on court call could have easily been a three, you know, and then go decide that in replays. But it was just astonishing me that, you know, it was called a two. And, if, you know, of course, LeBron, you know, was very displeased, maybe less theatrics than the, uh, the, the Tatum foul from last <laughs> year. Um, but, you know, tough, tough break for the Lakers, obviously, um, when you're facing the number one uh, seed in your, your conference and you pump out a 33 point game from AD, 26 from LeBron. I mean, that's that's the, the recipe for the Lakers. I'm going to take the L. But um, yeah, shout out to LeBron James for being 39 years old. You know, I remember when Vince Carter was 39 years old and still in the league. You know what I mean, Quinn? It's like you were you were great to get six or eight points out of Vince, you know, and some decent defense out of him at 39. And so salute to the king on the longevity 
when you're running point guard for a, a contending team at age 39 and throwing out, you know, 26, 30 points a night, um, you got to salute that kind of consistent excellence over the course of his, his career. Moving to a team that has been in the news a lot and kind of turned into America's team in recent weeks, and that's the Detroit Pistons just beat <laughs> the Raptors to end a historic 28-game losing streak. And boy, did that win come just in time because the all-time record for most consecutive losses, regardless of seasons, um, was 28 by the 76ers who had lost, I think it was like the last... 18 games of the season and then they had like lost the first 10 games of the next season so that was 28 straight losses um so the raptors had already clinched the single season record for losses at after they lost lost 26 but they managed to hold off on the all-time record for losses by beating a raptors team that conveniently had just traded away star um wing og ananobi um the day before um but man was this just a, a it was I had never just like wanted another team other than my my team to win a game as I wanted to see the Pistons win a game. Like it was and like the the story behind this actually isn't about the Pistons, it's about Wingstop Quinn. Um Wingstop made a partnership with the Detroit Pistons at the beginning of the season for every Pistons win, you would get five free boneless wings with your order um at Wingstop. Well boy did Wingstop know something that nobody else knew and that was they're barely <laughs> going to have to give out any wings this season Quinn. Um, but oh, what a great marketing play that night, you know, Detroit fans flocked to the only two wing stops that are in the Detroit area. And I want to salute those workers who clearly had a rough night and hard day the next day as everyone in the city decided to take advantage finally of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're the Pistons, just even looking at it, you know, this season is a wash. Um, and so I think it's time to, to ship out the veteran talent. Um, and so you've got your your most valuable piece there in Bogdan Bogdanovich. Um, you got to get him out of there and bring in some draft capital. Um, you know, if I'm the Pistons, probably, you know, I would love to see, you know, them pair Cooper flag, not this coming draft, but the next draft with Cade Cunningham. Um, and so if you're the Pistons, you know, I think you're, you know, it's time to ship out the veteran talent and just lean really hard into this tank because, you know, clearly you're not going to probably hit 10 wins, which is pretty rough. Yep. Cade, keep Boyan out. Duran, keep Ivy out. Bagley, out. Isaiah Stewart, stay or go. I'm fine. Uh, Asar Thompson, stay. Killian Hayes, out. Uh, Kevin Knox, out. James Wiseman, out. Like, I I think they really should only have, like, two or three kind of so-called keepers on this oh, roster. Oh, for sure. Um, and it's it's rough. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that they got the win. But, you know, you – you led with the key point, and that is it took OG Ananobi not playing that night for them to win by two points. <laughs> so this team still has a ton to figure out, and it's going to be probably still a bit embarrassing. I don't think they'll rattle off this many losses ever again um, in a row, but but I do think that it's still going to be a rough season because they just don't have enough talent. And when when Bagnatovich is the guy that you're leaning on to to get kind of that crunch time you know, three point shot, create your own, you know, play. Like I, I just, he, he needs to be your like fourth guy on your roster. He needs to be on like a Lakers roster um, where, man, if you leave that guy open, he's going to be a dagger for you. But when he's the guy that's relied upon and Cade who has an inconsistent shot is relied upon as kind of the scoring machine. I, I just don't see how, how that, that roster is meant to work right now. 
Yeah, I loved seeing Cade, though, in that game against the Raptors, you know, and he's had several huge 30, 40 point performances during this losing streak they went on, showing, you know, kind of the kind of spark that people saw when he was drafted, of course. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, Cade, I think, has the potential to be an excellent player there. But as was shown, the roster around him, you know, isn't even sufficient enough to be like a respectable lottery team. You know what I'm saying, Quinn? Like there's there's like teams like the Wizards and even the Hornets, maybe even the Jazz this year who like, you know, are respectable lottery teams where it's like we're marching towards the lottery, but we're doing it with the occasional win. Maybe the Blazers also would be in that category this year, Quinn. But I think the Pistons, it's just a different level when the whole nation is watching you for the wrong reasons. And so if you're you're the Pistons, even just for the sake of of the respectability of your franchise, I mean, yeah, they haven't won a playoff game since 2010. So, I mean, that's tough to, to overlook. But if you're the Pistons, you need to make um, a serious move so you can, you know, get and try to ride to the lottery in a way that, you know, doesn't bring long term um, disrepute onto your franchise because of course you're trying to bring ideally one day valuable free agents into your market um, and and streaks like this are going to do no good things for anyone ever wanting to sign with Detroit uh, moving to the Phoenix Suns the Phoenix Suns big three finally debuted this last week and boy Quinn are they scary offensively um, that was the big story of course when the Suns signed Beal um, electing not to go with a traditional point guard um, rolling out, you know, book Beal and KD, um, but man, they just played the Magic last night, and gosh, they, you know, the the final score doesn't speak to the momentum of that game. They just had complete control. Book getting to his spots, Beal getting to his spots, KD, of course, always getting to his spots, um, and that, of course, is going to be the recipe they're going to try to use. It was fascinating because I think like the magic outscored their the bench the magic bench outscored the suns bench like 40 to 4 like the, like the bench did nothing for the suns all night Sheesh. but like that was how they were built and so i think if you're you know matt ishby and and james jones you know and you're looking towards this february trade deadline i think it's worth seeing is there any way we can eke out something solid on our bench you know someone like a like a campaign, which I know they just traded him away, of course, but like a, a meaningful bench player would be so helpful to them because, you know, Wananabe and and these other guys are just like not getting it done on the bench. Metu, um, they're not getting it done on the bench, but the big threes here. And I think, you know, watching that game, like, gosh, I see the Suns, you know, taking out teams like the Wolves, the Lakers, you know, with like a 4-2, even a 4-1, you know, kind of level level play just because they're just going to shoot you out of the gym um potentially with like three 30 point performances so shout out for the suns for finally getting to see what they spent all that that money on and those players for in the summer and that's what these kd teams have been uh the last number of years ever since he was with the warriors is teams that have a lot of star power a lot of scoring a lot of talent a lot of fun <laughs> And, and so it's going to be, it's going to be, if they can stay healthy, just a really fun kind of latter half of the season. Um, and then, and certainly in the playoffs, I think it'll look very different than last year where I think Durant was having to kind of uh, carry a much bigger load than, than he was expecting. And so now being with the, being with the Suns and having Booker and having uh, Beal and, and even just, I mean, we've talked about it, I think once or twice on the pod, but Nurkic has been a lot better than I think a lot of people were kind of expecting. I think people thought he was kind of the discount version of Aiton, um, but he's actually, even though he's the contract discount version, he's actually been playing 
really well. He's been rebounding at a fantastic rate. He's been scoring a lot more than I was expecting. Um, but I think that's because all of that gravity from the defense is going toward those shooters and, and they should. Um, and so the Nurk gets, you know, 15 points, 16 points a game. And so it's like, I, I think it's working right now. Um, and I think that they just need a lot of reps together because um, over those same years with KD, with the Nets and the Suns, um, the problem is when they don't have enough time with those stars playing together to really mesh and build that, that chemistry. So I think it's going to be imperative that they have, you know, 25, 35 games that they can build that chemistry together in order for them to have success in the playoffs. I think the real winner here on the Suns is Grayson Allen. Gosh, he went from the Bucks in the Dude, Drew Holiday trade to the Suns. And I think there's plenty of arguments to be made, especially with how the Celtics are looking this year, that Grayson Allen went from having a really good shot at going to the finals to getting out of the conference with Boston and now moving into the Suns where he potentially has an even better shot at making the finals. And so, you know, for all of his dirty play, which I, of course, absolutely um, despise, um, whether that was in college or in the summer league or in the pros, I think you have to give a huge shout out to Grayson Allen from being, you know, a sometimes bench player, sometimes starting lineup for the Bucks to now being the starting guard um, in the, the Phoenix Suns. I mean, to go from one contender to another contender is rarely done. And yet Drew Holiday and Grayson Allen pulled that off this season. Another team that has been fascinating, Quinn, is the Chicago Bulls. And of course, they've been well documented here on the pod for frequent pleas from you and I to blow it all up. And it turns out the secret sauce to unlocking wins for them was not blowing anything up. It was just benching their best player, which is which is the most absurd thing you'd ever hear for a team. But sure enough, the Bulls decided to put him on the injury port, which I think is just code for, you know, trying something different. And they put Levine on the injury port, and sure enough, they start winning like, I think they won like three or four of their next like eight games, um, which for them was just like crazy consistency to start going over 500. Um, and so the Bulls, you know, are now sitting at 15 and 19. So they're 10th place. So they're still, you know, a play-in team. Um, but I, I would anticipate them shipping out Levine, and it'd be really interesting to see if they're going to try to bring in um, a package to evidently still contend with DeMar DeRozan and Vooch would be fascinating. Yeah, and these wins are are not, you know, nothing wins. These are wins against Miami and Philly and L.A. and Atlanta and Philly again. And so, like, you know, the fact that the Bulls are even looking competent, I mean, they, they look so incompetent to start the year. They, they look terrible. So uh, I, I'm, gr- I'm grateful that they're putting out, you know, a, a team each night that um, has some, some of that chemistry I was just talking about. Um, but I think that the Levine, the, the question of Levine is, is a tough one because um, we've talked about him once or twice this fall already, but he's the, he's the classic player who, who's just like an elite performer in terms of athleticism and he's got the three point shot and he's got these dunks early in his career. And it, you know, it's just like, this guy is, is a certified bucket. And yet um, when you look at the win loss totals year over year, when you look at playoff visits, <laughs> um, it's like, man, I just, I wish that guy had something more, or maybe it's more around him. But in these years with DeRozan, he's had more around him, albeit not necessarily always healthy. Um, and, and he still hasn't been able to put it together. So I, I do want to see him 
uh, on, on a team with a lot of talent because maybe it's just that he shouldn't be the guy. And, and maybe, you know, if he's like in a Bill situation where like Bill's like a super max player, but he doesn't have any pressure on him hardly at all this year because he's the third best player on the Suns. And so, um, you know, unless you're counting Grace and Allen, no, no, okay, yeah, Bill. So uh, Levine, if he got on a team where he's the third, fourth best player, I mean, obviously that's going to be a great fit for him because he's going to be able to show out and and exceed expectations. Right now, he's just been under expectations for years. And so uh, I think it's time for the Bulls to, to blow things up. I actually think they should probably sell high on Caruso. I don't think they're going to be contenders in the next few years when Caruso is still going to be kind of at his um, height of athleticism and, and obviously his, 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 his mind and his defensive ability will kind of still be there. But as his athleticism uh, uh, kind of dwindles, I, I don't think that he'll be the same elite player, you know, two, three years from now on the defensive end that he is today. And so I would actually sell high on him. I would, I would get rid of Levine. I'd probably move off to Rosen just because at this point, you probably do need to bottom out and kind of rebuild from the ground up. And so if you need to trade uh, DeRozan, I think he's in a contract year, do that. Like, I, I think the Bulls need to make some of those hard decisions today. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, building around, you know, your young guys, which would be, I guess, Kobe White and AO would probably be the move that I think a lot of people would love to see the Bulls make because, you know, is Vooch and DeRozan even going to lead you to the finals in an East that still is going to have Philly the Bucks and the Celtics. I mean, obviously not. And so, yeah, trying to, to just break it all down. They they tried to skip that two years ago when they you know brought in Vooch from the Magic, um, and I think that has obviously turned out um, poorly for them. And so, we'd love to see them blow enough. If you're the Lakers, of course, I think you've got to be wanting Levine. I mean, what were we just talking about the Lakers? I mean, they were just starting two nights ago, Torian Prince at the guard position, and you know when he gets healthy again, they're going to bring back Gabe Vincent, who has already shown even, you know, this year before he got injured, his inconsistency. And, you know, that would kind of give Levine the kind of situation you mentioned Beal is having, where if Levine could get get himself to LA, he wouldn't have to be expected to drop 30 points a night because that's still on AD and LeBron's shoulders. Um, and so I actually think Levine would fit really nicely um, for the Lakers, but they're really tied as far as not having um, draft capital, um, which is what the Bulls are going to want if they blow everything up. Um, before we move to two small market teams, um, who you and I have been rooting for our whole lives, um, got just one of the more bizarre incidents um, in the NBA. You know, of course, everybody talks about wanting to have that dog in them, but nobody ever wants to have that dog on them, Quinn. Um, and sadly, Aaron Gordon got bit by his pet dog and had to miss, I think, he, he just made his debut, I want to say, but I think he at least missed at least one or two games or whatever. Um, ended up with 21 stitches because his pet dog, his own dog, attacked him. Um, and so I think... That honestly just reminded me of um, the John Wall bat, um, kitchen incident, if you remember that one, Quinn, um, where <laughs> John Wall had a season-ending injury because he slipped in his kitchen. And that always just, like, blows my mind that, like, like, like the, your body is worth millions of dollars when you're an NBA player. And so the fact that, like, like if I'm a team, like, I'm like, hey, what kind of floors are you putting in your couch? Like, hey, what kind of t- pet dog are yes, you buying? Yes, like, like yes. that sounds so controlling to people's personal <laughs> lives. But when you're a walking, you know, th- 10 million, at least a year, 5 million a year player. I mean, if I'm a team, I'm concerned about what kind of pets and floors my players have. Absolutely. I, I, I'm old enough to remember when Greg Oden uh, already had one or two knee injuries. And then uh, the reports came out that he slipped in his shower. And I think tore his ACL or MCL or meniscus or something. And 
it was just such a travesty um, that, you know, something so common like that. But, you know, for the record to, to you know, as if I was the defense attorney for the dog, uh, Aaron Gordon was the one that attacked the dog. He was the one that was messing around. He was the one that drank too much that night, he says. So, you know, I, I think that it's it's a ridiculous story, but it's also like one of those like humans be humans. Yeah, but man, you got to, you know, be careful out there, NBA players, any professional sports player, you know, considering, you know, what kind of shoes you're wearing, or do you got slip resistance on the bottom of your of your sneakers, you know, your designer shoes? I don't know. You just got to be really careful with your body out there. Um, because like you even said with Greg Oden, I mean, this is, you know, significant money on the line in your whole career, but glad to see Aaron's back on the court. Obviously, he spent m- most of his career so far in Orlando. And so happy to see him get that chip last year and happy to see him thriving on the Nuggets. Moving to the Portland Trailblazers here. The big story with the Blazers is Scoot finally taking off here. He's got the goggles on. He's looking like Horace Grant in the 90s on the Bulls and the Magic. Um, Last three games, Scoot's dropped 22, 25, and 17. And that's what you love to see after the start of the season when he was putting out, you know, 4.2.6 point nights. Um, And so I think just seeing the confidence that Scoot's had in some of these recent games um, where he's, of course, just been literally given the keys to the franchise, um, love to see him growing in confidence. Obviously, of course, with his kind of Russell Westbrook style play, attacking the paint a ton um, and just his athleticism, I think, um, is the kind that's worth trying to build a team around him. Yeah, I honestly am still just trying to readjust my expectations. Um, I came into the year thinking that Scoot, um, aside from Wemby, was just the hands-down favorite um, to be the best rookie from this class. And that and that's probably behind Chet, who, who you know, was out a year um, as well. But, but I just, I had such high expectations for Scoot. And so when you read off those stats, 22, 25, 17 in the last three games, I'm like, yeah, that, that's, that's what I would expect of him, right? And then I remember, no, 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 uh, I've had to readjust this entire time because he's been averaging something like eight points a game <laughs> until this last stretch. And now he's up to like 12 points a game. And so just to see him have a little bit more, yeah, like you said, confidence. But but even just, I, I think there's there's something about breaking down a player and then rebuilding them. Like I, I can think of this, you know, there's probably a bunch of metaphors to other parts of life. But, you know, you're, you're given feedback in an area where you failed or you, you're weak and you realize you need to focus on that area, even though you thought that you were good and and you build it up and you become strong in that area. And then people respect you for it and you, you know, you achieve success in different areas. And so I think that um, Scoot's kind of where he needs to be. He needed kind of that um, that humble beginning uh, where you're working with the G League and you're kind of, you know, you got the goggles on and. You know, you've got all these games where you're not even reaching double figures in, in scoring and, and so forth. Like, like that's been his experience for the first two months of the season. And yet now he's starting to get a little bit more under him. He's getting some more minutes and so forth. So I'm, I'm happy for him. But I also recognize that as a, as a Blazers fan, I have to be patient. Yeah, it's so unfair, like the world of expectations and comps go, of course. You know, rolling up double zeros and, and the Blazers, you're just going to get a bunch of comps and in comparisons to Dame Lillard, who, of course, 
had, you know, playing underneath the leadership of Brandon Roy, had a really successful early start to his career. Uh, but we know NBA's history is filled with players who weren't immediately sensational and who later blossomed. I think of like Tyrese Halberton um, when he ended up uh, first year in Sacramento. I mean, he, he looked OK, but I mean, he wasn't anything to talk about. And I think a testament to that is, you know, them shipping him out. And, you know, it took him a couple of years. And, you know, now, you know, he's playing like a, a top 10, top 15 player in the league now. Um, but, you know, his his rookie year, you know, you wouldn't have exactly told that. And so I think there's a lot of optimism that Scoot could blossom into something else. And, yeah, I mean, there's players who, you know, roll up in their rookie season and they're destroying people. Um, but I think it's unfair to put that kind of pressure on him. And I think if you're obviously the Blazers who play in the long game. And so I think you see a lot of special talent um, with Scoot. And at this point, you're just trying to develop that. And I think the Blazers are, you know, Joe Cronin, you know, and Joe Cronin, we trust. We've said before, and I think they're taking the long road. And I think that's admirable. Closing it out with the Orlando Magic, really a team of ups and downs recently. Of course, they went on that nine game winning streak. And then since then, it's really been like 50-50 ball, um, 500 ball for the Magic. They get a win. The next night, they get a loss that they shouldn't have. Then the next night, they get a win. And then they get a, a loss. They're sitting at fifth in the East, which if you're the Magic, the goal this season was to make sure you're in the playoffs. And that squarely fits with that goal of not falling into the play in here. Um, but it's just been interesting. Obviously, this is the team I keep up with the most. Um, Paulo and Franz have been averaging 21 points a game, um, which is exactly what you need out of them. They're kind of it's so similar to the Boston situation where Boston drafted two talented wings in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, and then they just built a team around him. And that's exactly the kind of recipe the Magic are trying to cook up with building a team around Paulo and Franz, kind of the two untouchables on the team. Um, but they've just been then dominant. Like they played the Suns last night. And the only reason the game was close at the end was because Paulo and Franz were just willing the team with a lot of iso ball and a lot of individual offensive explosion to get there. Um, but what the Magic need is they need shooting. Gosh, last night, I think it was like, I want to say like 3 of 13 or something. Um, our guards were from 3 or something. It was just terrible, Quinn. Um, and so Magic targets floating around are, are guys like Buddy Heald or um, Corey Crispit. Um, Crispert or Tyus Jones or somebody that can hit open threes. That's the problem with the magic is people like other teams are just like leaving them open um, because they know that they're going to, they're going to pack the paint because they know that's where the magic need to go if they can't hit their shooting. And so would love to see the magic. Um, Jeff Waltman, our GM would love to see him make some moves at the deadline because I think this is a team that in two years can contend. And so trying to think through what's the best path forward to get that momentum going is going to be crucial for him. Yeah, I mean, uh, Bogdanovich is out there. He might be a little old for you it's guys. 31, you've got, Quinn. You've got Joe Ingles, so what are you going to do? Uh, you, you, could, uh, you could go the route of uh, uh, my guy Brogdon. Um, you could go for a Jeremy Grant. Okay, am I giving you too many trailblazers at this point? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 like the, I like the idea because, you know, the, the, the players that the that Orlando do, do have in addition to the, the two stars that they have in their building around – um, is mostly a bunch of kind of grit and grind type players. Like you think of Memphis, you know, the last 10, 12 years, that, that was kind of the identity of the Memphis Grizzlies. I feel like Orlando is just like this hustle and grind type of a team. And they're, they're young and they play for one another. And so it's a really fun team in that regard. Um, but I, I like the idea of just kind of building out some more versatility, recognizing that there's going to be yeah, nights where hey, we need we need more than just our youth and athleticism and and you know chasing after the loose ball. Like we actually need, 
you know, to be, you know, having a better, you know, three point percentage than the other team. Um, we need, you know, to be better in some of these advanced metrics and so forth. And so I think that, you know, that's going to be the, the job of the front office is to kind of really do the deep dive on what kind of pieces are going to work well together because you like the chemistry that exists right now. But in order to really upgrade some of those positions, you probably have to combine a couple of those players and ship them out. And that, that'll be tough. That, that'll be a chemistry um, issue that they'll have to, you know, a challenge that they're going to have to embrace. Yeah, there's a huge difference between like struggling in your shooting and just being abysmal. And of course, the Magic are right now rated 30th out of 30 teams in the league in three-point percentage Quinn. Um, And I think that just tells all the story you need. Um, And I think a lot of that's been, you know, he's not a, even when he's in, he's not great, uh, Markel Fultz, but like Anthony Black, um, our rookie has been been starting for us since Markel's been out and, you know, he's not shooting um well at all and then Jalen Suggs our other starting guard of course like you said he's a defensive dog um but most nights you know he's not going to crack 12 or 15 points a game um and so if you're the magic you've got to desperately get some shooting in there um because 30th in three-point percentage is not going to cut it in the NBA these days because so much of the game is involved into shooting threes and so would love to see the magic make some moves to keep them from falling into the play-in or even out of the play-in um, by the deadline but of course love I mean to get Franz at 11th um, a couple years ago is such a steel Quinn I mean they got Jalen at sixth and Jalen has turned out to be a solid guy who's right now in the starting lineup and could easily be out of the starting lineup and even traded but to get Franz Wagner at 11th in that draft I think big shout out to Jeff Weltman for getting an absolute steal in the 2021 draft I think that's going to cover it for us today, guys. we got more NBA basketball coming this year. Um, The trade deadline is next month, and so we will likely have a lot of trades to discuss between now and February, as well as teams will start kind of formulating before the All-Star break into what they really are this season, whether they're lottery teams or contenders. So keep tracking with us as we follow the road to the Larry O'Brien. Thanks, guys. We'll catch you next time.